Hey guys, and welcome back to Leadership on Purpose. I am Blake Bozarth, and this is the show that's designed to help you grow your influence and lead with confidence and with humility. Today, we're talking to Brian Mosley. Brian is the CEO of Right Now Media, and we're talking about what does it look like to lead in a nonprofit. And I know there's a lot of leaders listening to this show that are either actively employed in a nonprofit and lots more who are actively involved with nonprofits on boards or just a big part of your contribution to your community. And I think you're going to really appreciate the nuggets in this episode. We're talking about what does it look like to innovate in a nonprofit setting and how do you cultivate a culture of growth and innovation. And if you don't know Right Now Media, it's been described as the Netflix of ministry. And Brian shares what he likes about that comparison, what he doesn't necessarily like about that comparison. But I think you'll appreciate their story and how they moved from a fundraising model to really a self-sustaining model. So instead of having to ask for funds, they don't have to do that anymore. They're, they have a product, they have a service that sustains the organization, which is pretty impressive. Not every nonprofit can do that, but the way they go about running this like a business, I think you'll find pretty inspirational. We talk about how do you actually drive innovation inside a nonprofit and the insights that Brian shares have application outside the nonprofit space. And there's one in particular I'm going to give you a spoiler for. He talks about how they've had a lot of success with innovation by staying laser focused on their core mission and product even, and how it's really easy to actually think innovation is basically getting into all these other disparate things and can lead to shiny object syndrome and how they really found depth in staying laser focused and allowed for greater innovation, greater transformation because of that focus. Huge takeaway for us as leaders when we look to drive innovation in our own setting. We talk about specifically what does it look like to foster healthy culture inside a nonprofit, how so many nonprofits are so mission-driven, which is incredible, but a lot of times the people, the staff, the team itself can actually become casualties of the process, can be burned out, can feel like they're not really being invested in, developed, and uh, you're going to hear how right now media tackles this and how they really do invest in the culture. I think you'll be inspired by this. And finally, we talk about board dynamics. We talk about board of director dynamics and how to have a healthy relationship with a board of directors. I think you're going to love this episode. There's some great nuggets in here. What do we like to say? If you get value from this, be a river, not a reservoir. Who can you share it with? Maybe somebody in the nonprofit space that you think will also get value from this episode. And without further ado, let's jump into the show. All right, guys, I'm here today with Brian Mosley. Brian, welcome to Leadership on Purpose. Yeah, thanks, Blake. It's awesome to be with you and to join you. It's great to have you. I'm, I'm excited for this topic today. Before we get into that, would love to hear a little bit more about you, your career story, and if you could share with us a little bit about your organization right now, Media. Yeah, happy to. I'll give you a quick story and you feel free to ask if I left something out, you think. Sure. So, um, I mean, I've been doing what I've been doing now for over 20 years, um, which is my whole career. So I came out of college, went to Baylor University, started working here at the organization and have, have been here ever since. Um, this is not where I thought I'd end up. I mean, uh, when I was growing up and even in college, I at times thought I'd go do engineering and I don't know, I just, you know, as a kid, you just have other things that you think you're going to do. But, um, but actually, um, so our organization has been around for over 40 years and my grandpa and my dad started it. And so cool. I grew up around it, knew about it, 
didn't have any problems with it, but just figured I'd go blaze my own trail somewhere when, when my career started. But a couple of really great things happened in college that just um, felt like God was leading me back to this place to use some of the skills and gifts I, I had. And so started here 20, a little over 20 years ago, again, never expecting that this would be kind of a long-term career, but, but here I am 20 years later now, president of the organization and, and love what I do, wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for the world. So right now, media um, essentially is a, a ministry to churches and to Christian-led businesses. We provide a lot of video resources that, that those groups can use, you know, in the church context, it's small groups and youth groups and men's groups, women's groups. And in the business context, it's, you know, leadership development and training and helping uh, do personal care for your employees and so we just we have this online streaming library of video resources that those groups can plug into and use to to equip and encourage and inspire the people that they serve. Very cool, and I love the way it's been in your family for so long. I want, want to dive more into that later on. I know you guys have, are often described as like the Netflix of Christian ministry. Yeah. How is that true, and how how would you kind of say there's differences? Yeah, it's a it's definitely a love hate relationship with that analogy. We use it because it definitely helps for people that clicks. They go, okay, I get it. You know, it's yep. this online, you know, app driven video library. I can play it anywhere, anytime. So all that is great because it um, just helps people get it quickly. Where it, where it falls apart for us is, you know, Netflix is obviously very entertainment driven. We're not entertainment driven. We're going to be more, you know, leadership development or discipleship or spiritual growth focused. Um, and so there's, and we, we hope the stuff is entertaining, but it's not strictly entertainment. It's not TV shows and movies. Um, you know, Netflix is trying to reach into your home, you know, as an individual or as a family, which we hope to serve individuals and families, but you're, you're, um, we love to go through the church. So we don't offer subscriptions to individuals. We offer subscriptions to churches or to companies. And it's through that, you know, kind of organizational subscription that they get to use it with their people. So we kind of have in that regard, two customers, you know, we're trying to serve that leadership of the church or leadership of the business and help them to, to, to serve their people. And so we kind of have to have both of those people in mind. And, um, and then, you know, I suppose any company out there, I mean, Netflix included has an agenda, you know, sometimes it's maybe you look at it and it almost seems agenda list. Cause it's just kind of like, well, we'll take anything and everything. And we definitely are going to be pretty selective on what content we put in our library theologically and quality wise. And, you know, the audience we're trying to serve and just trying to make sure we're, we're sticking to our mission, you know, and not just saying, Hey, we can be one size fits all to everybody. That totally makes sense. As someone who's a part of a church that is on um, right now, media subscription, there's a ton of great content on there. I can, I can confirm that. I will say that my kids do appreciate it for the entertainment piece too, though. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, for, all the, for all that rich content, there's also some great entertainment content yeah. that we as parents low and Absolutely. love um, to be able to, to share with them. So we're talking today about leading a nonprofit and some of the dynamics involved with that. One of the things that I find fascinating and impressive really with what um, right now media situation is, is that you've been able to successfully kind of transition from a fundraising model mm -hmm. to a self-sustaining model. Can you talk to us a little bit about that for, for other nonprofits? I think there's a lot of people listening who are either leading in a nonprofit or they're, they're very closely connected, either on boards of a nonprofit or they have a vested interest, right? Um, yeah. So for a nonprofit that wants to make that jump someday, they want to go from not having to be dependent on, on fundraising and contributions, but have a self-sustaining model. Yeah. What would you advise? And what's a little bit of your old story? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I start off by saying, I love, I love how things have unfolded here for our organization. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, we're nonprofit. We no longer require donations to, to sustain what we do. Uh, I love that the nonprofit nature of what we do keeps us very tied and connected to our mission. Um, mm -hmm. 
I'm not against a for-profit, you know, owned company. I think there's, I mean, there's no problems with that at all, but I just love for what we're doing and the audience we're serving, we get to stick very true to this mission and yet we're able to do it without having to go raise money anymore. And so historically how that kind of happened was, um, you know, like I said, my, my grandpa, and my dad started it 40 years ago. My grandfather was a pastor. Um, he and my dad began traveling and filming documentary stories of missionaries. Uh, this is back in the late seventies. And the thought was, how do we help, you know, the, the American church just be more aware of what God's doing around the world. And so we're going to go tell these stories and show it to them and, and let them see what's happening around the world. Well, to do all that, you had to have people that were going to pay for the travel costs and the production costs and the, the airtime and just all of it. I mean, people are going to have to donate to make that happen. And, and so that was their history for those first, uh, I guess, about 10 years was completely donor driven. And, um, I think my grandfather was built for that. I mean, he's very much a people person, big vision caster kind of guy, you know, could get people excited about it. And, and so that came somewhat natural to him. I think as the baton was being passed between my grandfather and my dad, I think my dad looked at it and said, you know, that's, that's not where I feel as comfortable. I don't really feel like I want to go out there and be the guy trying to cast vision to those donors and trying to get that, you know, um, donation driven model. And so he said, well, what if we kind of switch our, you know, st still have the same mission, still have the same kind of methodology, but, but switch it up where instead of it being broadcast on TV, what if we go and create resources that can be used directly in the church? And what if we still offer it as a low price, but make it affordable for a church to pay for it? So now they're, they're paying for these, at that time, VHS, you know, tapes that were used in youth groups and small groups. And eventually that was DVDs, but um, so I think it was at least historically thinking back on it, you know, it was partly my dad just saying, you know, I, I don't want to be the fundraiser guy. I think I can do this and, and actually have a self-sustainability, but to do that, we have to have a, a quote product, you know, to sell here. That's, that's valuable enough for somebody to buy it. So, so they made that switch in the late eighties. And really since that time, we've been a, a, a kind of a unique uh, animal out there in the world of a non-donation raising, you know, nonprofit. And so every year we're putting our budgets together and trying to project how much revenue we'll generate based on, you know, sales, but um, trying to make sure we don't spend over that, you know? So like any other business, we're, we're trying to monitor that really carefully that all the revenue comes in through nowadays, it's not through, you know, VHS or DVD sales, it's through subscriptions. Um, and so we're, we're looking at that subscription revenue and, and managing everything off of that. That's that's a very cool story for for leaders who see this and they're like, wow, like just hearing you talk through that, it's like you're you're totally mission driven. Yeah. But uh, as you are, as you're running it, you're running it kind of like a business. It sounds mm -hmm. like. So what what kind of um, advice would you have for others in the nonprofit space on how they can keep that core mission the same, but also still run it more like you would a private enterprise business? Yeah. You know, certainly we're not perfect at this, but I mean, thinking of a couple of the things that we try to do, uh, a lot of it comes with as soon as, you know, even in the interviewing and recruiting process, but especially as you hire somebody in the onboarding process is really trying to set expectations and try to help them understand, you know, in our case, who we are, how we're going to operate, how we do try to keep true to that mission, but we're going to make, we're going to make decisions on Okay, God's given us, you know, you as a as a person on the team. He's given us finances. He's given us this building, and we gotta we gotta use those and steward those well. So we we're not gonna um, we're we're not gonna tolerate, you know, just kind of inefficiencies or tolerate kind of just slacking off or just kind of we want to make sure we're all committed to moving this thing forward day by day by day, and not hoping that you know we can kind of slough off for ninety days and in that final hour just you know hopefully it works or maybe we'll just get a donor to come in and and you know make up the difference there. We just we try to set that expectation early on with those new team members. And, and one of the areas where that can be challenging, honestly, is 
if if those team members have come from you know maybe other donor driven nonprofits or even mm. you know churches we've hired folks from both of those for sure but it's just you do have to change their mindset a little bit because sometimes they can come in thinking okay I don't have to think about, you know, quote revenue. I just kind of do my thing, no matter how long it takes or what it costs. Somebody else met, messes with that. And we're like, no, we all have to be considerate of if, if you're going to spend that money and spend that time and spend that energy, we got to, we got to support it financially somehow. So what's, what are you going to do that's going to help make that church or that business that we're trying to serve the customer say, Hey, it's worth continuing to subscribe. And therefore there's finances coming back to us to pay for what we're doing. So it, there, there's a bit, of, I guess all that to say, there's been an education process on that front end that we're trying to help. And we got a lot of young team members too, by the way. And so they may not even had experience anywhere else, you know, before they come right. to us and they may have, you know, walked in with, Oh, it's a ministry, which it is. And so this is kind of how I think it's going to operate. And, and man, we're still very ministry minded, but we want to make sure they understand this business piece to it. So a lot of education on that front end for sure. That, that resonates, but screening really the kind of people that are coming in and, and um, being able to prepare them for, Hey, this is the way we rock with the way we operate. This is the way we run things. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. Talk about, talk to me about innovation mm-hmm. in a nonprofit. Cause I know like these are common kind of pain points that I feel like I've experienced in the nonprofit space as being affiliated with different nonprofits. And what I hear from even nonprofit leaders yeah. is the lack thereof of more of the kind of the growth mindset what does innovation look like and how do you drive that kind of mindset inside your culture? Yeah. I mean, so a couple of thoughts come to my mind and, and I guess just even thinking back to the conversation about fundraising versus being self-sustaining and I have nothing wrong, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a, a donor driven organization because there's certain ones out there that are never going to be completely able to be, you know, self-sustaining off of other revenues. But I will say, I can see where it would be challenging in some organizations where if you're donor driven, especially if you've got some bigger and key donors who are you know really contributing, mm-hmm. it may be hard to innovate because there may be an expectation like, hey, this is how we've always done it. This is how I expect you to do it. This is this is just the way this organization operates. And so it may, it may box you in. And so we've we've thankfully not had that um, potential, you know, boxing of our innovation because we're seeing they're always looking at it saying, hey, if our mission is to serve the church, to serve these business leaders, to help people live out their faith then what we did in 1977 probably can't work the same way in 87 or 97 or, you know, I mean, on throughout the years, it, it has to adapt. And if not, we, we become not only irrelevant, but we don't, we can't sustain it. You know, now all of a sudden, just very practically speaking, I got to look at 190 people and say, Hey, we, we don't have a job for you anymore because mm-hmm. we're not doing anything that's actually valuable enough for somebody to pay for. And so therefore we can't sustain it. So, so I do think that financial element, you know, you don't want to be only about finances, but there is some good, innovative pressure that comes and you're thinking, how do I make this work now? Um, which may be different than five or 10 years ago. So, so if the financial part's part of it, the other thing for us is um, that I would say in terms of innovation is we have stayed very, very, very focused on content creation and content distribution. And when I say content, I even more specifically mean video driven, you know, resources. And so there's a lot of opportunities we've had over the years to try kind of other things in this digital and technological space to help serve our customers. Maybe it's related to financial, you know, like, um, again, if you're talking about churches like giving platforms or, um, you know, volunteer management platforms or other things, nothing wrong with any of those things, but we've just stayed so laser focused on content that in a weird way, almost a paradoxical way, I really do believe when you really focus in on something it actually can increase the innovation. You know, I know sometimes innovation, you can think, well, it's gotta be, a new idea every week and trying new things every week. And, um, and that can be great for some people. That's not my personality. My personality is if we really laser focus in on something, then that's, what's actually going to allow us to be super innovative in that space, because we feel like 
we're always asking, well, how can we do it better? How can we make it more effective? How can we make sure that we're serving the customer so well that, you know, that they never want to leave us and that we're always feeling like we're really right there with them. And so I, I think our, I think our laser beam focus has actually helped us become and stay innovative. Um, and, and I mean, a case in point to me would be if you rewind the clock about 10 years, we were selling DVDs to churches, had a lot of great resources and, and, and I would say success with that. Um, but you could start to see out there in the overall landscape, hey, DVDs aren't going to be around forever. Our desire is still to create and distribute content. We can either, you know, stay so focused on the old methodology that we lose sight of. That's not our methodology isn't DVDs. You know, that's mm -hmm. not our, I should say our mission isn't uh, DVDs. Our methodology was DVDs. Mm -hmm. If we stay close and focus on that mission of distributing and delivering content, then let's be innovative in how we do it. We can create it in you know newer ways as technology changes, and we can distribute it in newer ways. So we took that big leap from DVDs to streaming about again ten or eleven years ago, um, and that, that so that was in my mind an innovative move because it, we didn't we weren't forced to do it yet. We weren't our backs weren't up against the wall, but we felt like there's a new way for us to distribute, and we should probably take the steps now versus just waiting. I love that angle. Like, and this applies to whether you're in a nonprofit setting or not, but that angle of the benefits you get from an innovation perspective when you stay laser focused mm -hmm. and how sometimes like it's shiny object syndrome, like you feel like that's innovation sometimes, but that can actually be a detriment. Yeah. But when you say, Hey, this is our core mission. This is what we're trying to do. We're going to stay focused on this core mission and this core type of product or service. And we're going to innovate deeply around it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that's where transformational innovation can happen. That, that really resonates. So I know you guys um, put a, have put a lot of focus and put a lot of focus into the culture of your company into mm -hmm. um, investing in your team. I think one another common pain point I hear from those working in in nonprofits and even ministries is, you know, we are so mission driven. Like everyone, everyone is so mission driven. Sometimes the people working there can even feel like a, a casualty mm -hmm. of the of the process yeah. in terms of their own kind of growth and development and the like. Talk to me about how you guys have approached investing in your people, investing in your culture right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say, you know, without a doubt, uh, and again, we're not always perfect at this either, but without a doubt, you know, the investment that we made in, in, in team culture and trying to help create a, a healthy and flourishing culture has paid, you know, dividends or paid return, or however you want to say it, you know, in greater probably than anything we've done. And, wow. um, and because we are just big believers in team. So um, a couple of ways that plays out, you know, and, and again, I, I don't mean to set up these contrasts like the other's bad and what we're doing is good, but just when I look at it, the way that other sometimes companies, ministries, churches can operate, you know, sometimes it can be very, very personality driven. You know, this is the person that everything kind of revolves around because it's the innovator and entrepreneur, because it's the pastor, because it's the founder of the ministry or whatever the case is. And we've, we've tried really, really hard to not make our, our ministry and our, our perspective here very personality driven. I mean, I'm the president, but it's not like this is, you know, it's not, it doesn't all revolve around me. So what that means is we really do try to collaborate, you know, as a team. I mean, I just got done here today is right before we recorded this podcast with meeting with our executive team. We do that, you know, once a week here at the end of the week. And I mean, that's a very, very collaborative team in which we're all coming together to say, how do we, you know, learn about what each other are doing so that we can help each other, but also when there's problems to tackle, let's tackle them together. Um, so that, and, and we hope that that, trickles down into the rest of the team and trying to create that very collaborative um, culture. So again, I would say one of the things for us is trying to make it not personality driven, but really truly value kind of the, the we is greater than me mindset, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, and, 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 you know, 
regardless of your position, you can sometimes, we can all be tempted to kind of have a me mindset, you know, what's in this for me? What am I getting out of this? What am I getting recognized? And wherever that creeps in, you got to stamp that out because all of a sudden, you know, you do lose sight of the mission. You lose sight of the, the goals that your team has set or your organization set because it all becomes about me. So, um, so that we is greater than me is a, is a big deal for us. We, a couple of years ago, I guess maybe four years ago now, we, um, we got connected with a, a group called the Best Christian Workplaces Institute, and they do surveys for your team. And, you know, it's an anonymous team culture survey. You send it out. They, everybody on the team who, I mean, it's voluntary, but you're hoping that a lot of people will fill it out, fills it out. You get feedback kind of in the aggregate, you know, as a leader and says, hey, these are the areas in where your team is engaged. Here's where they're a little bit um, maybe frustrated or feeling trapped or whatever. And so the four years in a row that we've done that um, has been tremendously helpful because it's given me actual data from our actual team that says, this is the area specifically for your team that, you know, that could be, that are going great, but it also could be worked on. And we as an executive team will take that report, look at it, you know, each team will look in their own areas and go, okay, again, we don't know anybody, we don't know the specific answers of any one team member, but we know enough about the team to say, hey, this team feels like uh, cross-team communication is kind of weak. So how do we make sure that that it's not weak and how do we, you know, listen to them and, and make some of those changes. And, and our score has improved every year that we've taken that over the last four years, because we've been really intentional to say, Hey, this matters because we're, we're hearing directly from the team that we're, we're without them, we can't accomplish our mission. Um, but I think one of the things too, that comes to my mind, by the way, is you, you mentioned earlier that some, especially ministries or nonprofits can get so mission focused that they kind of burn people out at the expense of the mission, you know, and their, mm-hmm. their mantra can almost be like, well, you know, but keep giving, you know, your time and energy and best because of the mission. And yeah, keep working long nights and weekends because of the mission. And, you know, before long, like you said, the, the mission starts to trump everything. And um, that's a challenge. I mean, for any, any organization, I mean, even, I think even a business can start to say, Hey, look, you know, kind of commit your life to this business because that's what, you know, you need to be doing. And I mean, for us, we've, we have always really tried to work at um, creating kind of like the focus thing I mentioned, I, I'm a big believer that when you create kind of a consistent schedule and a consistent pattern, that it, it's so comforting for even the people that don't like to operate in kind of very consistent patterns, because when they kind of know, Hey, generally my work schedule is this time every day. And generally yeah. it's going to be, you know, a very rare exception when the boss comes in and says, Hey, can you stay later? Can you work the weekend on a, you know, on a whim? Like when they know that now they're free to give hundred percent of their effort during work hours Cause they know you're not going to come in and try to steal their personal time for work, you know? And so it, I, I'm again, I'm not saying we're perfect at it, but we've really worked hard to say, look, when you're here and you're on, you know, um, the, the job working for this mission, I mean, give a hundred percent, but when you're away from here, give a hundred percent to something else, you know, your yeah, family, good. your church, your friends, your hobbies, because we all need that. And so, and then you had to put it into practice. Cause again, if, if you say that, and then you, you know, keep sending emails at 10 o'clock at night and expecting an instant response, or you keep calling late at night, expecting them to pick up, or you keep asking on a Friday afternoon for them to come in on Saturday, then they don't believe that. Right. But if you stick to that and say, no, I've created these boundaries, this consistent schedule, I believe in the mission. I want you to give life to it, but I also don't want you to, to give your whole life to it because you've got other things going on. That's again, we're not perfect at it, but we've really worked to try to make sure people know we care about what you do when you're working, but we also care about what you do when you're not working. That's, that's great. I, I, I love that you tied that in. I think, yeah, I think that's common, like not just common to, to leaders in the nonprofit space, but also outside the nonprofit space. And so let me ask you this, let's talk about board dynamics. Yeah. So uh, one thing that's also unique about, about this, this organization your nonprofit is how the longevity that it's actually been um, essentially ran 
in terms of the stewardship by your family, mm-hmm. um, knowing there's been a board, I would assume that entire time too. Yeah. Talk to me about like, what, what kind of, what kind of dynamics do you guys, uh, navigate and what is the best way to maintain healthy relationship with mm-hmm. a board where, where the governance is there and also the autonomy and the freedom to kind of make decisions and yeah. innovate is yeah. also there too. Yeah. It's a good question. And I'm, I'm thankful that when I think back over the history of certainly my time, you know, in the 20 years that I've been more directly involved, um, we've had a great board of directors and they've rotated through over the years. So, so just thinking back real quickly, I mean, when the ministry first started, the board was really small and it was, I don't even know who all was on it, but it was probably, you know, pretty much dominated by probably my grandpa, maybe my dad. I, I don't even know who all was on it, but it was a small, you know, kind of mom and pop organization. The board was small. Over the years, we really learned that, hey, we, we, we can't make this such a, you know, a Mosley centric thing because it's, it's, again, it's, we is greater than me, you know, and mm-hmm. if it's too Mosley centric, then it's going to feel like, well, it's just all revolves around that one family. And it really doesn't. So, so over time, um, even after my grandfather had retired from working, he was still on the board, but we eventually said, Hey, as much as we love you and want you to be a part of what's going on, probably on the board is not the best way because it's going to be just too overly again, Mosley centric. And so he was gracious and said, yeah, that makes sense. And he rotated off and, um, I would say over the last eight or 10 years, we've tried to learn a lot about what is the best way to, to, to do board governance, just so that we're set up well, you know, for success. And, and we've looked at some resources, um, that are out there, you know, that kind of help steer us that direction. And so a couple of things that have helped us, um, I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm in the process right now. I've got two folks that are going to join my next board meeting as a guest. That's kind of our protocol. They come in as a guest, the first meeting, they can participate, they can see it, experience it. And then after that meeting, you know, I can kind of check in with them and I can check in with our existing board and say, Hey, does this all seem like a fit? And if it is, we can vote in them in. If for some reason it doesn't seem like a fit, then it's kind of like no harm, no foul. You know, we've tried it out, but at least you got a chance to dive in and see it. So I got two people going to join me at this next meeting in November for us but I'm working real hard to try to send them in advance. Here's, here's what to expect. Here's, here's kind of how the board operates. Here's what you're getting yourself into. And it kind of goes back to even like this, the onboarding I was talking about earlier with the, a new employee. Like I just want that board member to know everything they can. So they know what they're saying yes to, and they know what they're being asked. And so in my case, I'm not asking them to give money or to go find people to give money. And, and that's kind of unusual for some of them who are thinking about joining a nonprofit board. So they're like, well, if that's not what you're asking me to do. What are you asking me to do? You know? And, and so I just tell them, look, you have two main responsibilities and a couple of other smaller ones. Main responsibilities is keep us accountable to our mission. So anytime if you were to hear me or, you know, at a board meeting or outside of a board meeting or see some sort of email that comes through for a ministry, and you're like, I, I don't understand how that fits into our mission. Well, then you need to talk to me and say, hey, Brian, help me understand your mission seems to be this, but you're doing that. Why is that? And I may be a, maybe a blind spot, you know, and now all of a sudden you're helping steer me back on the path, or maybe I just was bad at communicating to you why that does fit in our mission. And, and now you've helped me realize I should have done a better job. The other thing that they're trying to help keep us accountable to is even though they're not giving money to the ministry, it, but I want them to help us keep um, financially accountable. And so, you know, they're going to approve that budget. They're going to ask some great questions every year. And we go through that process of why would you want to spend that there? Or are you thinking about investing in this or what's your, and so I love it because they have no financial interest in it. I mean, they're not getting money from us. They're not giving right. money to us. So it purely is, Hey, we want to help you. And so these questions come out of a place of, of love and hopefully encouragement. And um, even if sometimes they're challenging, it's, it's not because they have any personally stake in it. It's just truly from my perspective, where I sit in my life experience, I have a question that I think may help you guys and your team. And, and it does. And every year there's notes that we take and things that we can adjust. And, 
Yeah. So they keep us accountable on the on the overall finances as well as just our executive team compensation. They they play a significant role in making sure that we don't do anything out of bounds there, and we try to be really really above board and all that. So so those are kind of their official roles. But man, I you know I I email and see some of those folks throughout the year on an email or a phone call or a lunch meeting, and just I've turned to them at times where I have some questions that can't wait till a board meeting, and so mm-hmm. they're giving me their insight. Um, I'm looking for people who are, you know, that's a I mean you want to find people that that. Um, are going to be enjoyable to spend that time with. So I'm looking at people that say, yeah, I, I either know something about media. I know something about your customer base. I know something about like, we're starting to do a lot of work internationally. So I found some folks that have some international experience. And so all, all that is just really critical to say, it's not just guys that are going to say yes. It's not just people that are, um, you know, looking to, again, I'm not asking them to give money. It's really people that say, I believe in your mission. I'm willing to ask some hard questions but it all comes from a place of love because I don't have any other reason to do this other than I must love you and love what you're doing. And I just want to see you guys succeed. So that, I don't know, that's a lot of maybe rambling there for you, but that, those are some things that have helped keep our board um, in a very good, you know, rhythm and relationship. That's, that's really cool. There's a lot of nuggets in there. I'm sure there's a lot of other nonprofit leaders who are listening with some jealousy there in terms of the healthy dynamics that you do have. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, a lot, a lot of that is set up by, um, by the way you're asking for truly an advisory position mm-hmm. and, and just helping you steward this, uh, this organization, which is pretty neat. Uh, I want to transition. You now. we have a few um, closing questions yeah. that we like to ask our guests. And um, the, the, the patented question we like to ask is what is your why? So what is it that drives and motivates you? This is about leading on purpose. What would you say your why is? Yeah, I, for me, I, um, I mean, it's circling back a little bit to what I was saying earlier. I mean, I really am doing what I'm doing because I feel like it is what I was designed and created to do. And so um, my why is I just, I want to lean into and honor who I think God has created me. And, and there was a time for me, by the way, that I, I resisted, you know, again, when I think back to 20 or 22 years ago, thinking, Hey, I, I, I kind of know where God's leading me. It seems like he's leading me here to this place that my dad and my grandfather have started and, you know, been a part of, but I, there was something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I don't want to just do it seems to be easier, almost like, you know, take this gift that, you know, not everybody gets. And, but I finally came to the realization that part of the gift that God has given me is this family legacy and history that Mm. not everybody does have. And so it would be kind of foolish to look at that and walk away from it just because I felt like, oh, I should go blaze my own trail somewhere. So I, I, I bring that up again, simply to say, and I think what drives me is going, okay, God, you've, so clearly when I look back, you've kind of positioned me and put me in these places where I was in over my head, wasn't sure always what to do, but you've given me people around me to help encourage and support. So I just, I just don't want to, um, I don't want to squander that. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to look that in the, look you in the face and say, wait, well, I just kind of left that on the sidelines and tried to do my own thing. So I'm, I'm deeply driven by just being thankful for where God has moved me in the past and trying to go, how do I make sure I never, um, never get far from just being right behind wherever he's leading the future. That's, that's powerful. Uh, if you had to say one way, Brian, that you've grown as a leader since you started your career, what would you, what would you identify? Um, I would say I'm certainly more, I'm an introvert by nature. So it's easier for me to sit here at my desk and do tasks and kind of, you know, knock things out and feel like the day is accomplished, you know, just by what I did. I would say I've certainly learned over the years um, the value of team and of the kind of collaboration, but also the delegation, like saying, Hey, I don't have to make all those decisions by myself. Let me try to, you know, bring along these other 
great, talented, you know, smart people and make sure that they're either making the decision because they know better than I do, or they're contributing to the decision because when we collaborate like that, it's better than just one of us making that decision. So, so I, I think, um, I think I've gotten a lot better at just involving other people and, and being intentional to not just interact with people related to work, but interact with them just because they're good people, you know? And so it's the, again, it'd be easy for me to just sit here in my desk and just kind of live in my own world. If I was probably just left up to my own devices, but just, just engaging people, you know, and, and, and enjoying them as people. And then also enjoying working with them as, as an area where I've grown. That's really cool. Um, we, we like to say that, that we think the highest form of leadership is creating leaders, not just followers. What does that look like? What does that look like for you in your career? And what does it look like at right now media? Yeah. I mean, you're asking the question of the day for us because we've been talking a lot at our executive team level about how do we, how do we make sure that there's all this, all these other great leaders, you know, in the organization that are acknowledged and invested in and poured into and, and raised up. And so, um, so two ways that we practically have been doing it or are doing it, we have what we call our key leaders, which is about um, roughly 30 to 35 people across the organization that represent, you know, other key um, leadership positions. And we meet with those with that team as a team about three times a year. And it's a chance to kind of bring them together, both just again for the acknowledgement of, hey, you're we 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 see you and know you as somebody who's a key leader here in the organization. But there's also some content we'll go through and some leadership development things that we'll do as that group. And so we're trying to pour into them kind of in as a as a bigger group. Um, and and that's been going on for a few years. And I think there's been some good fruit from that of just and part of that, uh, the other thing that we're trying to accomplish there, by the way, is when you bring those 35 or so people together and I'm very intentional when we have a meeting, I will, I will give them seat assignments in terms of the tables are going to set that Cause I'm trying to cross pollinate. That's cool. so I'm trying to take somebody from, you know, the creation team and the sales team and the customer success team and put them together. And it's not like they don't know each other, but they don't work together maybe as, as much on a day-to-day basis. And I know it's a minor thing, but it's like, I just want you as we meet and have lunch together today to be around some people that you wouldn't have otherwise, you know, maybe sat next to because it just helps them grow in their own awareness of the other team. Really so, so that key leaders team has been really helpful. And then actually just this month, we've, it's the first time we've ever done this, but we've kicked into a more official, what I'd call a mentoring program. So we, we picked five of those key leaders and said, Hey, we want to invest more in you over the next year. We matched them up with five executive team members. And there's not like this one size fits all program that they're all going to go through. We're really trying to make it driven by kind of the needs of the mentee. Like, Hey, what are the areas of leadership you want to grow in? What are the areas maybe where you're challenged or things that you want to know? And as they're sharing that with the executive team member, that the goal for the next year is going to be for the executive team member to help walk them through and not answer every question because they're never going to be, you know, everything, but, but just try to say, okay, how do I walk with you and try to help you develop? So that's kind of a deeper set the plow a little deeper on those five people. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. Our team is excited about it. And we just kicked that off. That's exciting. Uh, I love that. Both, both of those things. Really cool. Uh, here's a fun one for you. If you, if you could sit down and have lunch with any leader past or present, who would that be? You know, I mean, that is, there's a lot of people. So I'm a pretty big reader. So I enjoy reading a lot of books and, and, and that way you kind of feel like you have had a little bit of a, you know, conversation with some of those folks. Um, I, there's so many that come to mind. Here's the one that I'll say for today. I'll tie it back to, you know, you asked the question earlier about the Netflix, you know, analogy. So I got done reading, uh, Reed Hastings book earlier this year called no rules rules. And like I said, there's so many things that I would not associate with uh, between us and Netflix, but there are some things that, man, they've really helped pioneer this streaming online, you know, audience and how to do that. And um, so 
I would just be fascinated to sit down and have a meal with Reed Hastings because I feel like um, he would, he already thinks so different than I do and operates so different than I do, but I, we're, you know, again, he's in such a different space than we are, but there's enough similarities where I feel like I would learn a lot just sitting there asking him questions all throughout the meal. Love that. Reed Hastings, meet your counterpart, Brian Mosley. Let's make this happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the last one for you is, um, do you have a BHAG? Do you have a personal, big, hairy, audacious goal? That you're going after these days? Yeah. So, I mean, when I think outside of the, you know, I think just truly personal, truly individual. So about three or four years ago, I started doing some of these, um, they call them sprint distance triathlons. So just short distances for the swim, bike and run. Yep. I've enjoyed those. I think I've done 14 or 15 over the last oh, wow. few years. It just keeps me active. Um, but I have thought more recently, you know, should I be dialing that up and trying to do some longer distance now? you know, the longest distance is the Ironman distance. I don't think I could do that. Maybe that defeats the purpose of a BHAG, but that seems like too big <laughs> of a BHAG to me, but uh, there are some bigger, like Olympic distance that I've at least thought, okay, should I consider that? Um, and so I'm a little uh, reluctant to say that out loud because then it feels like I got to go do it, but that's, that's right. That's, that's, that's the one that stands out there is, is trying to ramp that up a little bit. That's really cool. Yeah. That's, that is your wire completely different than me. And I kind of have so much respect for that. Some of my good buddies uh, do the Ironmans and I've, uh, I've benefited from having like their little swag bags, backpacks. Yeah. yeah. Like they had too many of them. So let me have one. And I feel like such a poser when I wear, when I wear nice. it around. Yeah. You don't have to tell anybody. You can just, pretend. no, no, I can just pretend. Yeah. Uh, this is really cool. This has been amazing. Where could our listeners find you? Where's the best place to look up? You know, mostly? Well, I'm not super active on most social media stuff. So I'll just point back to right now media. I mean, if you go to rightnowmedia.org or at right now media for a lot of the social media feeds, you're going to find us. And, um, you know, I, I, our team does a good job of trying to keep people up to date there. So that'd be the best place. All right, Brian, thanks so much. I enjoyed the conversation and can't wait to see the continued impact that you guys have at right now media. Awesome. Hey, thanks Blake. It's been great to be here. What would it mean for your organization if your leaders became significantly more effective? At CoThrive, we help good leaders transform into exceptional leaders. And we do it in a way that builds camaraderie and deeper connection to your company for a fraction of the cost of less effective alternatives. If you're interested in learning more, find me on LinkedIn and just shoot me a message. As always, guys, keep leading on purpose.